It is those systems of mutual aid and care. Most people I've seen engage with those. It's like, ah, it comes naturally. It calms your spirit. It soothes you. As soon as you can start to feel less alone and less adrift. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we interview people I call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. And asking each one of them our single question, in the midst of all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? Today's guest is Stephanie Rierick. Stephanie is based in Madison, Wisconsin, and is founder and director of the Mutual Madison Mutual Aid Network, MAN Cooperative, and Humans United in Mutual Aid Networks, Humans, a new type of network cooperative creating means for everyone to discover and succeed in the work they want to do with the support of their community. In addition to her work in growing grassroots up economic and community regeneration, Rurik is co-owner of Mother Fool's Coffee House and also works as a musician. And I invited Stephanie to join us for What Could Possibly Go Right because of her passionate work on mutual aid in all forms and sorts, which is a passion of mine as well. Here's Stephanie. Wow. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on What Could Possibly Go Right. And, uh, you know, you and I met at a conference where you presented your idea of the mutual aid network aimed at linking people, at least around the, I, I think it's beyond your community, trying to link together these mutual aid societies, if you will, um, and, and to, to strengthen the whole movement. And mutual aid, at least as I understand it, is an ideal that I have carried. I started time banks, you know, like in my neighborhood 30 years ago, I started what I call block barter books. We had little, you know, sheets of paper where we could account for trades and stuff like that. And I've started local currencies and, you know, basically had minimal buy-in. And then I found free cycle that doesn't have an accounting, just the joy of giving and receiving. And now I'm part of a buy nothing chapter and the love along with the trades is palpable and it keeps growing with every trade. And I suspect love is at the root of your affection for mutual aid networks. So I have a lot of curiosity that I hope you can satisfy, not by answering the questions, just by talking to us, but it's like, one question, like how is mutual aid like and unlike currencies of accounting? Is it more like the kind of trade in clans and tribes and in, in indigenous tribal groups? Is it mutual indebtedness? Is it a binding together of a group uh, or something more Western, you know, just an exchange of goods and services? I've seen them sprout up when resources are limited, like when the currency collapsed in Venezuela but do they persist beyond the failures of the financial system? Or I've seen them in marginalized communities that have needs but very little money, and I've seen them in churches. So I, I also resonate with your statement on the Mutual Aid Network website, because it speaks to an animating vision I've had for your money or life for many years. So here's the statement. Uh, what would it look like if everyone were doing the work they loved what they felt called to do? What if everyone had the opportunity to build their skills to the maximum capabilities and then apply them to making their communities whole and beautiful? 
So maybe you can't answer any of these questions, at least directly, and you are welcome to take the conversation wherever you will. I am so curious where you will take our one question in this time of great change and realignment. What could possibly go right? Thank you. Well, one of the things that could go right is paying attention to our past and learning from it and valuing what's come before. And I'll say, since you mentioned your money or your life and the time makes you started, one thing that can go right is learning from people like you, which I have. I read Your Money or Your Life in the 90s, and it really helped guide me to pursue the life I want to. And um, I'm very grateful. I've just reflected recently on the fact that I've lived like a person who made a lot of money um, without making any money, without just uh, by just directly exchanging my skills um, and my passions. I've been able to travel around the world. I've been able to um, neighborly economics actually gave me the opportunity to co-own a small little coffee house that I still do to this day, which um, we're able to make into a cultural venue, bringing people, uh, performers who don't necessarily have commercial popularity. It's never been what I've been into. Um, I make music myself. I, I've coined a term for the genre called unpop because it's decidedly not popular, um, although <laughs> some small groups of people like it a lot, and I do, and I, it's important for me to be able to express what's inside me, and um, I would like for everyone to have that opportunity. So I'm really glad that you selected that quote because that's one of my favorites. That's one of my favorite um, questions to ask. One of my, my uh, former coworkers wrote that, and I've always loved that. So uh, one of the things that I think is really essential is to recognize that mutual aid Oops, networks my are- cat is- <laughs> Excuse me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I- Reminding us that mutual aid networks are throughout all living systems, all animal, plants, mineral, uh, planetary systems. Um, and, and of course, each one of our bodies is in constant interaction with our surroundings and i think it's actually been deliberately forgotten um, and imposed forgetting on this current western civilization culture however we want to call it um i really do see that there are systems that have been put in place to cause us to forget not only the direct propaganda but the systems of the money system that's based on a bank debt that automatically through the interest process widens the gap between haves and have nots and causes a competitive situation and i feel that um by creating that when you were talking about starting time banks and um i also started a time bank which has morphed into completely different things now including the mutual aid networks um providing those kind of experiential tools like your buy nothing club as well i've found that me and most people I've seen engage with those, it, it's like, ah, it comes naturally. It like calms your spirit. It soothes you. Um, as soon as you can start to feel less alone and less adrift. I mean, for me, um, I've ended up taking a number of involuntary big drops in my income also, besides choosing not to follow the money I've had some money abandoned me over the last few years and it's it's really scary and there's a certain amount of like once you 
do it, whether you have to do it or whether you don't, you realize all the safety nets, all the invisible safety nets that are social, those are what are the only thing that matters anyhow. That's always what comes to save us in a natural disaster, in a created disaster such as a war. Um, it is those systems of mutual aid and care. And in my view, it's this deliberate causing us to forget that that's that's the issue like um when you're talking about the timings and how they don't get beyond gardening and massage one thing i like to say to people is well, what's wrong with gardening and massage <laughs> i would love to feel like i could afford to get a regular massage and i'd be healthy for it i might save some money on my western medicine healthcare expenses so, and that's what mutual aid networks are about are about valuing those things making them visible using things like time banking to catalyze and reward exchanges and care and creativity and civic engagement and community building. And then connecting that more with our other parts of our work life and other parts of um, how we meet our needs. So for example, in the mutual aid network framework that we've created, I'm gonna pause for a second. I wanna acknowledge that the term mutual aid network has really caught on during the pandemic. And it's not exact, it, it's not, generally i don't think always understood to mean how we're applying it so our form of mutual aid network we coined back in around 2013 deliberately chose the initials man because we want to be the new the man make have your dream life being your full human self as caring as you want to be as family oriented as you want to be as antisocial as you want to be you do what you want to, you apply your strengths, you build them to their maximum capabilities, you do the work that you want to do, you have incentives through time exchange, through other forms of compensation, through getting paid money, you have incentives to do some of the work that isn't so totally appealing or might be more difficult. And we combine them together. We uh, So our form of mutual aid network is a type of cooperative, but legally, constructed. We are a cooperative incorporated in the state of Wisconsin. Right now we have two. One is a global cooperative network that anyone can join called Humans United in Mutual, Ed in Mutual Aid Networks. And the idea is there is there are so many things going on. Again, we need to see them and value them and learn from them and um, be open to that and understand that we're quite young, <laughs> that we're quite new to taking an approach that encompasses what's good about different old ways and also implements what's available to us now because of new technologies, whether it's internet, whether it's um, new understandings of how we codify and apply our, our values and principles. But anyhow, so we have a global network about learning from each other and actively supporting each other through these same means. And then we have a local cooperative network and a lot of other places have their lo own local networks too. So the idea is we come together as, as a co-op with very open borders and very open invitations, very deliberate invitations to everyone, especially people who tend to get marginalized and left out of the dominant economy because of race, class, gender, uh, disability, or, uh, different kinds of abilities. Um, so you create very open invitations and active invitations and you have that be a key part of your principles that everyone's bound to. And then we collectively steward 
time exchange. So exchanging an hour per hour of our time and talents with each other. Also direct swap. Um, so that's one thing that we like to do is have just swaps where people can bring whatever they have that they don't want anymore and exchange it for whatever they need. Um, also just commons building. We really uh, know that there's a real need to really build our muscles for sharing and sharing is the purest and most effective way to create abundance in our view. Um, but then also other forms of mutual credit, different kinds of currencies so we can engage businesses. And we also like the mutual aid societies in African-American communities in um, the depression and before and um, a lot of immigrant communities all over the world, people are in the practice of pooling their money and allocating it to who needs it most at a given time. So we're just about connecting those things and connecting them with peer to peer kind of ways to manage work so we can do more things like care and creativity, whether it's commercially mm -hmm. viable or not, and have a good living, good living, a good livelihood. We started calling it a lively humanhood. We don't need to set our sights at a basic human livelihood provided by governments. I think that's actually quite unappealing to me. So we want a lively humanhood where we count on our neighbors, our communities. We're building thriving communities, again, creating opportunities for everyone to develop their skills to their maximum capabilities, apply them to making their communities whole and beautiful, whatever that means to you. So we're just, we, we also just find it very, essential that in doing this, we are directly supporting and deciding and agreeing to adhere to sets of cooperative principles. So those are drawn from time banking principles that all work is valuable, um, that everyone has something to offer, that reciprocity is essential, um, but also principles of governance of the commons that we found from Eleanor Ostrom, being very clear about rights and responsibilities with commons, there's shared responsibility and we really just need to exercise these muscles. So a lot of what we have recognized in our applying is, is changing the economy is a community organizing effort. It's not a technocratic thing. There are technical aspects that can really support it, but it's really about networks and about value and how we value each other. So we're working on building networks of real trust that then connect across networks to create trust between them. And, and we see it as looking to create a neighborly global economy. Wow, I'm, I'm so curious about so many things you said. Um, one is, um, that's the sort of like your creation and baseline, which I think is so beautiful. I wanna copy it all, you know, just sort of like <laughs> download your entire website and just put our community's name on it because the principles are so right. I mean, you've done some heavy lifting about how to join time banking with cooperatives, with you know, transforming the economy. So I wonder, you know, part of what we're looking at with what could possibly go right is what's emerging out of the mists of this massive change we're going through and not for you to cheerlead, you know, the what, not to cheerlead your project, but what really do you see emerging? Like one thing you said is that during the pandemic, mutual aid networks took off. Do you, and, and, and I can imagine now with the, you know, the sort of like galloping apart 
of the top and bottom, that there's, there's a lot of interest in that. It's like, it's almost like you have to grind the wheels 180 degrees to be able to see how, like you said, for your own personal life, to see how you, your needs are going to be met in a cooperative system when you've been trained to not trust each other. You know, I can just see the, the grinding of the gears that necessity is creating. So anyway, just look on the, you know, the near-term horizon or the current horizon. What do you see emerging? Well, the great resignation is a huge deal. So um, the fact that people have seen have seen the cracks to the point where they're willing to reject it and take the leap without knowing what they're leaping into is a pretty uh, special moment. And um, what I've seen just having operated in this complementary economy world for a long time um, is a completely different kind of willingness for people to come together. Um, so like there are a lot of different software projects, for example, it's like all over the place, people making blockchain stuff, et cetera. Um, and that's been going on for a couple, couple decades now that I've been involved as like some, you know, software competition. Everyone's looking to make a thing that they're going to sell and everyone will jump onto. And there are just different uh, levels of connection across projects now where people are actually working together to make open source ecosystems of software that can support it and the um, things like platform platform cooperatives that have been kind of centered in a tech kind of world and different open source software worlds are now connecting more with creative worlds and time banking community exchange worlds. So I see that stuff happening sort of an infrastructure level on the ground. I just see uh, a lot more kind of desperation for figuring out new labor uh solution so one of the things that's emerging here and we'll see how easily we can pull it off is we're looking at how to create a like a labor pool i kind of was jokingly thinking of it as the ghostbusters because ghosting it jobs is so common now um coming to an interview and then never showing up again but um creating different kinds of open cooperatives where people can be working at different places kind of vouched for training up in a variety of different ways so they can have more variety and flexibility in a schedule and there can be more um, ability to for people running businesses to get their actual staffing needs met so that's something that's been emerging here um, in hull uk um there are there's a sister site that we have there um, based in a time bank there that's now the humane mutual aid network and they had been doing these giant feasts where they would feed 1500 people at once uh, for no money exchanged um, through the time bank and through uh, donations of food from local farms. And they've shifted to working in refugee communities. So um, refugees will work with members to create a feast and get a chance to use some of the their culinary skills and share that and make new inroads with the local community so there's uh unfortunately more and more needs to connect with and support refugees so that's another thing that's been emerging is people looking at how to use mutual aid 
really for mutual aid, uh, the, the term mutual aid has been applied a lot to things that look more like charity lately. Um, and there are more understandings emerging, I think, and a little bit more connection emerging to see uh, how mutual aid efforts can really go toward long lasting solidarity based mutual aid. Um, some other things emerging are uh, networks to support people with addictions for harm reduction, uh, especially as fentanyl is taking a greater hold. So there's another uh, sister site that's based in a health center that works with a lot of people who are suffering addiction and houselessness and um, and also people coming back from war. So there's a big focus on that kind of peer support for mental health. Um, here, another thing that's been emerging is, especially since COVID, our city sanctioned some encampments for people who are houseless, and then our city has actually gotten a property and is is building some tinier home temporary housing. So we're connecting with that to figure out how to create some processes whereby people can find temporary housing moving into other moving from tinier homes to tiny homes to figuring out some real affordable accessible housing by again connecting a lot of different models land trust cooperative um just a variety of of models that are applied in different ways to really get serious about supporting people who aren't adequately housed and creating housing that's actively accessible mm. wow it's sort of like watching these these lights, you know, that have been independent lights, like, oh, you know, affordable housing and da -da. And then seeing that it's almost like, you know, they talk in movements about intersectionality. And it's almost like that. I mean, it probably is that, that there is a condition that is, has, you know, it's probably always been with us, but it's very evident now that there's a whole class of people who are being left behind by the high techno fixed society. You know, we're always promised that the technology will trickle down and everybody will have it better. You know, the interstate highway, you'll all be able to have cars. And, you know, there's always a promise that that is made that, you know, after we've made our, you know, profit, there's going to be a trickle down. And so, you know, we all need to be like baby birds with our mouths open, you know, just waiting for it to trickle, um, you know, and there is trickle down, you know, there is trickle down, you know, my phone is trickle down. Um, this, this is trickle down. It's really interesting to see how, you know, what I thought about when you were talking about AA, I mean, I, I thought about, you know, that's a mutual aid network. That's like a addiction to anything, mutual aid network. And it's, it's, it's persisted and it's run, as you say, by principles and patterns, you know, rituals and principles and um, just sufficient that they can work. You know, the thing I created years ago, about the conversation cafe, same thing, you know, free for everybody. Here's a methodology you can use in your community to break down barriers between people who don't see the world the same way, but we can be in a shared space of curiosity, you know, like, and learn from one another is sort of like, it's like unschooling. It's, it's, you know, there's something that I'm hearing in what you're saying 
that is almost like a figure of ground shift that we're starting to become more confident that our needs across the board will be met. One of the things I'm curious about is this, you know, millennial tech thing, you know, like the, the marriage of the blockchain, which is an accounting system um, with mutual aid. I mean, right now I see like we have Facebook groups and the Facebook groups support mutual aid and and co-learning and, you know, swapping stuff and stuff like that. And then this blockchain, I mean, is it going to be, is it going to bring in an accounting such that the the dynamics of the money system re-enter mutual aid? Is it going to do that or is it going to just give a level of trust for people to jump in and participate. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose anything. I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I mean, what do you, what's your sense of the blockchain as an ally and as a pitfall? Uh, my sense is much more as a pitfall. Um, I, I think the blockchain can be an ally just in, just, for providing a technical kind of backbone for some of the accounting that happens in mutual credit. So we're all about mutual credit. Um, and I think the, I think blockchain, and especially as it's pitched with currencies, um, as that, of course, take Bitcoin as the primary example. So it's not, I'm going to say it's not inherently evil or anything and bitcoin is speculative like to me bitcoin embodies things about the money system that are wrong um the way that it's mined to me is wrong uh, and the way it's pitched to me is wrong um which is that a debt should be recorded and maintained permanently and it's kind of like to me it replicates um what I what I the problem that I became clear for me in David Graeber's book debt the first 5000 years when he describes a period in history where suddenly like when when debt laws were on the books uh, fairly newly and that sort of like the horror of lawmakers seeing that people actually put the debt over everything and were selling their children into slavery and there had been a tacit understanding that human values come first. Now, that's part of why we've come to realizing our principles need to be spelled out now and forevermore. And and actually, when I mentioned the economy being a community organizing effort, I'm going to reframe that as an education effort, as a grassroots education effort. Um, And I feel that we need to rival religion for how they've cornered the market on education. Everyone needs to hear about it at every age, all the time. Um, wherever they are, you need to not be able to escape learning about our systems of exchange and sharing and getting a handle on the way that debt and and this kind of money system is only about subjugation. So that I'm not saying that being in owing each other and reciprocity is different from that kind of subjugation, control, domination, debt. But yeah, so those are the reasons that I think it's dangerous to focus on a solely technocratic level. And it's really important to realize that technology needs to serve the human functions and the principles. And um, 
that you're always developing low and no tech methods for doing the same thing. The technology is just to ease the flow, but it needs to never be dependent on people interacting with that technology for their participation. Um, there's so much potential for things like, uh, you know, time exchange, time banking to be linked with social credit systems and big data and surveillance in a way that Mm -hmm. we are contributing to our chains rather than breaking them. So that is a really key piece of mutual aid networks. We have autonomy and independence and um, global values upheld locally. All that stuff is really important to us. I, it has, it's very essential that we're hyper aware of the different pitfalls and, the, and we're always in conversation and learning from each other and open to constant evaluation and openness about these things and always going back to the principles is really important. So, yeah. Uh, and something else, I mean, I'm going to be a little candid here. Um, you know, the interesting thing about your money, your life, and there's lots, I mean, there's like a, a million people on the financial independence subreddit. I mean, I'm just, I, I thought this, the book had disappeared. And then in 2017, I discovered, you know, this whole new iteration, but, you know, it really is. And I hear it in you. It's really based in the old model. And I, there's a sub community called socially conscious fire, financial independence, retire early that is struggling with the incongruity between understanding the ills of capitalism and the fact that they've learned how to be good capitalists so, you know, their differentiation is that they know how much is enough and they value, you know, time over money, you know, so that's, it's a step, but it's not the whole thing. And I'm soaked in that, you know, so I realized when we had a time bank that I didn't have enough time and or enough time to do the exchanges in relationship with the amount of income I have, this the flow I have. And I think part of this is that at this point with a you know, shared consciousness of Western society, as long as we're on the tit of the money system, this other system looks like it takes a lot of time and complexity. Like I've seen co-housing communities generally evolve into neighborhoods. You know, the mutual aid aspect of it, and eventually the mindset of like, you know, I have just a little bit of something that I have control over. I'm going to tend that well. I'm going to share the surplus, you know, but I have a door to that I can close. It's, I just want, I'm just interested in that edge. Is it that, is the interest in mutual aid networks increasing because the financial so, you know, security sovereignty is decreasing? Are we, is that what we're seeing? And is it a class issue? Is like, you know, if, if more people fall off the bottom, are they going to only trade with people in their, you know, their former status class? I mean, it's just, it's very interesting, these class and embedment in the economy issues. Well, that's that is one of the key reasons that we looked to create the kind of structure we did is, is, um, you know, I was, I was running a time bank that was thriving. What I found, 
um, in my experience is that when time making was functioning really well, it was around a project that was really important to people. And I realized that people are used to having their currency tied to their work and the mutual aid network piece is really aiming to make it so you can see how your work life can be designed with all these tools. So, and, and in the cooperative structure, we have ways to um, exchange different kinds of credit for other things. So we have this posterity budgeting tool, how to have a posh life on an austerity budget. So the <laughs> idea is if you were um, maybe in the situation you were in, you might've had plenty of money and you felt time poor. Um, so someone in the, the idea with the posterity budget is you see how, for example, you might be able to use four hours a week for respite care for your mother. So you can put four hours of your gross pay into the community's common fund and use four hours to get the care for your mother. So those are ways that we've created in the cooperative structure to break down some of the barriers, but put them in a social context. So we don't mess with the integrity of time banking. We don't like make an hour always tagged to a price, but it's a way that people can joyfully and voluntarily redistribute their wealth. I see it as a way you can choose to do to each according to need from each according to ability. We, we, we just do it because we know that we would like to, instead of like espousing these ideals. And then like, I've asked groups of um, people with higher incomes before, like who thinks we need wealth redistribution and everyone raises their hand. Like, <laughs> what are we waiting for? Would you like to have the government mandate that for you? Like, what are we waiting for? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is what, so we've come up with some ideas of like how to do things and we're going to experiment with them here. But a lot of it is like throwing out the ideas also and hoping people experiment with them in their own context under their own terms and just share that back. That is, is so cool because it reminds me of another project I did where I, I, I just got a prize in funding for an idea called the Care Commons, which was really based on the Japanese model of, you know, the children are supposed to come home and take care of the parents when the parents are older. Now they have jobs, they can't do it. And so the idea was to create an accounting system where you could bank hours of care for yourself in the future through aiding people who are, you know, who need care now. So it, 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 is, it wasn't working just on the, you know, the generosity of soul, but it was the idea of being able, it's really an accounting system, but that you could, like I could provide care for somebody here and buy care for my sister in New York, you know? And so, you know, it never got off the ground because I'm a great idea person, but I'm not really a great manifestation person. I mean, I can manifest it to a certain degree and then I just don't know how to do it. So, um, but I'm sure the idea is, is percolating in a million places, but, but that sort of thing, I just, I love what you're doing because it's, it's, it's not seeding power to the dominant system, 
but it's not fighting it. It's just doing what everybody says we ought to do, which is, you know, Buckminster Fuller said that, you know, don't fight the dominant system, just create one that everybody wants to be in. So, I, I mean, I think that we should, we should start to wind this up. I'm not going to like cut it off instantly because it's so good. But I think what I'm getting is that you're painting a picture. You're not only painting a picture of what's possible out there, you're painting a picture of the possibility of mind that sits in this truth and keeps pumping out new possibilities. You know, it's not like, oh, I tried to time bank, didn't work. Okay, over. No, and we're just going to keep iterating. We're going to keep iterating around objections. Uh, so, I mean, I just wanted to know if you have any wind-up thoughts for us. I just uh, just reminded me of the emergent space that needs to be there for things to grow. And you just described so many ways that that happens. And I was really excited when you said the care commons, because we actually have a dream project called that on our mutual aid platform. And um, yeah, people are dreaming of the same thing all over. And it makes me think of the uh, Yoko Ono quote, a dream we dream alone is only a dream. A mm. dream we dream together, that's reality. <sighs> what a, that's like, I'm satisfied. You know, it's like you talked about this sort of, something shedding from your shoulders, that sort of squaring yourself against the world, you know, to be sure that your needs are met and that, you know, in the presence of mutual aid, something comes down off the shoulders that didn't belong there in the first place. Yeah, I love this. Thank you so much. Thank you, it's been a total pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.